Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Monday, February 17th, the day after the Canucks fall 5-1 big at home to the lowly Anaheim Ducks, not the result that anyone was hoping for for Sedin Week. I'm glad to be back with you again, and I know I promised you a big Sedin-oriented episode that I was uh, working, struggling real hard to try and put together for last week. Uh, I can tell you it is coming together. It will happen this week. A former teammate of the Twins joining me on the show uh, on Lockdown Canucks later on in the week, so look forward to that in the next couple days here. But in the meantime, I uh, was joining uh, J.D. Hernandez of Lockdown Ducks for a big Lockdown on crossover episode after uh, yesterday's afternoon game against Anaheim. Look, there's plenty of Canucks news to break down from over the weekend as well that I did uh, not get to touch on by not doing an episode since uh, Thursday morning. Uh, most of it centers on Michael Furland and what the Canucks might now do at the trade deadline as a result of what he is going through Lots to talk about. We'll get to it uh, with a more Canuck-centric episode in the next couple days here, if not uh, tomorrow, honestly. But in the meantime, I always enjoy chatting with J.D. Hernandez of Locked On Ducks. Uh, we got the Anaheim perspective from his end, the Canucks perspective from my end after a week where both teams uh, had some extreme emotions for one reason or another. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here's today's Locked On crossover episode with J.D. Hernandez of Locked On Ducks. And now joining me from Locked On Canucks and Sportsnet 650, right? Correct. Yeah, it is Justin Morissette. Justin, how are you doing tonight? Good, man, JD. Glad to be back chatting with you again after uh, a week of two emotional extremes, but wildly different extremes, I feel like, for both of our teams this week. Of course, up in Vancouver, this has been Sedine Week. You guys uh, came into town for the, the Sedine Week finale. It was Legacy Night honoring uh, their co- commitments in the community, everything that they've done for children's hospitals over the years, all of the lives that they have changed through their dedication to charity work here in Vancouver. And uh, I guess the Canucks were feeling a little bit charitable as well because they gave the game away <laughs> to Anaheim in this one. They certainly did. Uh, let's talk about the game first for a split second because the Ducks do a good job defensively against certain teams, and they've done so against Vancouver on multiple occasions this year. I can hearken back to the Dia de los Muertos game in early November where the Ducks won in overtime against the Vancouver Canucks. And then tonight, 5-1. to one. I didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, not at all, but if they were you know, charitable tonight for uh, Legacy Night, then I guess they were playing dead on uh, Day of the Dead back in October or November or whenever <laughs> that was as well. So uh, Canucks been fitting the themes with their performances in these Anaheim games so far this year. But uh, J.D., you and I were talking about this before we started recording because I don't tend to think of Anaheim as a team that plays you know, a structured defensive game when you look at who they have on the back end. You know, you guys are missing Eric Goodbranson at the moment. He missed uh, Sunday's game with an injury, and that is something of a blow, apparently, to uh, this Anaheim defense, which might be hard to believe uh, for Vancouver fans who watched Goodbranson play up here. Uh, You know, a guy like Michael Delzato has been a regular in the Anaheim lineup. He was scratched on Sunday as well. Uh, But when I think of a team that has those two guys as part of its defensive core, one is a regular, one is an extra, I don't think smothering style defensively necessarily, but 
This is a team for whom John Gibson is your best player on a night-in and night-out basis, and I would assume that uh, the coach's game plan kind of goes in accordance with that. When your best player is your goalie, you try to make life as easy for him as possible, and Vancouver has honestly struggled all year long against teams that play a structured defense, whether that is, uh, you know, they they had some trouble in the early going against uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who were playing a much more conservative style under Dave Tippett. They've certainly struggled against the Dallas Stars so far this year. Yep. The only defensive team they really seem to get up for, and I've talked about this multiple times on Locked on Canucks over the course of this season, is the St. Louis Blues, and that is, of course, a team that has the added benefit of being the defending Stanley Cup champs, which when you're the champs, I mean, yes, you won the championship last year. Congratulations. There is no benefit carrying into the next season because you're the best team in the league because you've got that trophy title next to your name from the previous year everybody brings their a game and wants to beat you as best as they can outside of the blues vancouver does not tend to have the ability to battle through when defensive teams put together a rather smothering structure against them. And I don't think of Anaheim as being a team like that. I mean, no offense to you, JD, no offense to your listeners, no offense to the fine people of Anaheim. I tend to think of the Ducks as being one of the lesser lights of the NHL, one of the worst teams in the league this year. And yet it makes no sense to me uh, that Vancouver would have such trouble against them this year. It's not like the Canucks are world beaters by any means, but they are a playoff team. And Anaheim is one of the teams that they should be kind of putting behind them to create some separation at the top of the Pacific Division. They simply can't do it. (laughs) Is Anaheim better defensively than I think they are in my mind? I will say yes to that because their top pairings on defense are among the more elite defensive pairings. When you think about who they still have, they have Hampus Lindholm, who is still a premier defenseman. You have Josh Manson, who, for better or worse, is a great defenseman, despite what some fans may think of him tonight. Uh, Josh Manson, of course, only got a double made double minor at the end of the second period, which was bizarre because Josh Manson could have gotten more minutes on that third man in. Yeah, he was the third man in there attacking Tyler Myers, and granted, the guy that Myers wanted to go with didn't want to fight him. I think it was Silverberg, possibly. It was it was Silverberg. So what happened was Max Jones initially got Pedersen with a clean shoulder-to-shoulder hit. You know, I guess the Canucks thought it was a harder hit than normal. We're a little it testy right hard. here. you got to understand, J.D., we are coming off of uh, an uh, event a couple weeks ago now where Matt Grizzlick of the Bruins just rocked Pedersen with right. a late hit, took right. him out of the next game against the Minnesota Wild, and ever since that hit, ever since Petey missed that game, Vancouver, who as a team up to that point only had like two, I believe, fighting majors on the entire season up to that point, has been fighting consistently ever since that game, especially when anyone so much as looks at Elias Pedersen the wrong way. So you are perhaps catching this Vancouver team at a very sensitive time as far as uh, teams taking physical liberties with Elias Pedersen. And you say that, and guess who is the most penalized team, and guess which NHL team has the most fighting majors right now? Uh, Would that be the truculent Anaheim Ducks? Oh, that would be correct. And those points do not go towards Hockey Jeopardy next time. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, it is the Anaheim Ducks who have 20-something fighting majors. Half of those come at the hands of Nicolas Delorier, who, by the way, signed a two-year extension. Just over the weekend, Nick Delorier signed a two-year, 
two million dollar extension. That's only a million AAV. That's not bad. Kind of surprising then that we didn't see a fight on Sunday because so am I. There were a couple of moments where it seemed like it was going to happen. That altercation at the end of the second period with Manson and Myers, uh, chief among them. But uh, no, the refs just took a million years trying to decipher what penalties they were going to call they there. Did. It felt like the final three seconds of that second period went on for about as long as the last five minutes before them did. Uh, but in the end, uh, no, I don't even think anybody got a power play coming out of that. It was coincidental no, double it was, minors. It was coincidentals, five on five. You know, that lasted as long as the fourth quarter of the All-Star game for the <laughs> NBA this year. <laughs> uh, uh, but Yes, I, I watched most of that. Yes, we do have listeners that watch basketball as well. Hey, I, we, we like basketball up here in, in Canada now. We are a Raptors-obsessed uh, country ever since that playoff run last year. There were Raps fans up here before, but it's taken on a different level. Anyways, that's neither guess, here nor there. And guess there. who won the NBA All-Star MVP? I'm oh, sorry, the Kobe Bryant All-Star MVP. It would be one Kawhi Leonard. Uh, we don't uh, we don't talk about Kawhi north of the border anymore, actually. I'm going to... Gonna ask hey, you to he, edit that part he, out. <laughs> he still he still won you guys a championship. It's true. Promise. It's true. You but can't... anyway, back back to the defense. Yes. Um, um, someone else that gets overlooked quite a bit is Cam Fowler. Cam Fowler, who by the way tonight had a nice little apple uh, early in the game. Cam Fowler is one of those unsung defensive players for the Ducks, and he has been for a long time. Um, but when I look at the other defensive pairings. There's two other players that have just been brought up from the San Diego goals that Dallas Eakins is very high on. And one of those players is Brendan Gooley. Brendan Gooley just last week was still in San Diego playing down in the AHL level. And then you see him come up almost immediately to the Ducks and contribute in a big way. He had a big goal tonight. Uh, Brendan Gooley had did. the 5-1 goal that put it uh, out of reach basically late in the third period. I love the name yeah. too. He's got to be considered a shoe-in for the NHL all-name team. And at oh, some Brent point Gooley? in his career, I need to see him on a defensive pairing with Shane Gostas Bear. I need Gooley and Ghost on the Gooley same D Ghost. pairing. Super Ghouls and Ghosts, baby. They take you back to your Super Nintendo days. Wow. If we're going to go back to Super Nintendo, we got to go back to the days of <laughs> Contra. Uh, you know what? Never mind. We can talk about <laughs> video games all day. Yeah, that'll, that's could. another show. Yeah. As I'm looking at the Super Nintendo right now. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Uh, someone else that I was very impressed with, I could say Adam Henry. He got two goals. Yes, sure. But Ducks fans are always happy when I mention the hashtag Elite1C, Derek Grant, who had two points tonight, a goal and an assist. And he would have Derek- been fired up because he was playing in front of his hometown crowd. I believe he's there you a go. product of Abbotsford. He's a BC boy somewhere in the lower mainland. If not Abbotsford, I'm mistaken, and my apologies to the Grant family. But I know that uh, his goal on the night that made it 2 nothing in the first period was uh, uh, against his hometown team. So he would have been extra fired up for this one. Oh, he was. That whole goal was really nice because Ryan Getzloff had the puck behind the net. He was kind of fading, fading, and trying to make a turnaround. And then all of a sudden, he flicks the puck back behind him, almost a no-look pass right to Derek Grant, who put it on really easily. I was actually really impressed with Getzlaff in this game. For a guy that, you know, I think often gets thought of as being perhaps uh, past his prime, washed up at this stage of his career, he he showed he could go tonight. I was was impressed. I wouldn't say washed up. 
past his prime, sure, but washed up. Well, right. Getzloff is still the leading scorer for the Anaheim Ducks right now. I mean, somebody's got to score. Sink somebody's got to score. Who else is it going to be? Derek Grant? I guess he did tonight. Hey, Derek Grant is the best hockey player in the world. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, no, a, a solid night for the Ducks. I mean, we were kind of talking about it earlier, and I feel like the emotions of this week played into both teams' performances uh, on Sunday afternoon because uh, I, I wanted to ask you about this as we got started. I wanted to, you know, make like the Sedins and put the the pressing issue of the moment uh, on hold for uh, for just the time being, so that we can pay our respects and and tip the cap in the direction of Jay Bomeister. And when I say pay our respects, yes. it makes it sound like he's passed away. Jay, by all accounts, is doing great, but he is uh, is I believe still in hospital, even like five six days after this incident took place. Yes, he is. Yes. And you were at that game, J.D. This took place in a, a contest between the Anaheim Ducks and the St. Louis Blues on Tuesday night. You were there in attendance uh, at the uh, the Duck Pond, whatever that arena is called these days. Uh, and I've been Still meaning called to, the Ponda. I, I've been meaning to ask you what that was like because. Uh, you know, obviously a difficult thing to watch from the comfort of our own homes on television, a difficult thing to follow along with uh, on Twitter as we're just breathlessly waiting on updates from, uh, seemed like Darren Pang was the only guy who knew what was really going on after it all went down. But Jay Bomeister collapses on the bench in Anaheim on Tuesday night. You are in attendance in the stands at that game. What was the atmosphere like in the building? Okay, so it was pretty nice going up to the game. You know, there was the whole, you know, Ryan Miller getting thin mints before the game, playing rock, paper, scissors before the game, which doesn't go mentioned as much. But Ryan Miller was having a lot of fun before the game. And there was a plethora of families there. Once Jay Bomeister immediately collapsed, and right away several players called for a medic. This came up on the Ducks broadcast. I don't know about the Blues broadcast. But where it happened... There were families right by the bench, and on one camera view, that's kind of an auxiliary view, you could see a kid kind of not sobbing, but looking just extremely concerned. And you could see the mother clutching his, clutching her young son as he's watching this all unfold. And where I was, I was in clear view of the Blues bench. Unfortunately, I could see the staff doing CPR, doing chest compressions. I could see the AED coming out and where I was and where the fans happened to be at that area, fans were stunned. They were completely baffled as to what was going on. And then once they saw the AED coming out, that's when they realized, Oh no. And there was a, an older couple around me that said, Oh, like, please like pray for this poor boy. And you could just feel the air sucked out of the building and not in a good way. It came it became this wave of concern for Jay Bomeister once we realized what was going on. And once it came out on Twitter that it was Jay Bomeister, and this was first reported by Eric Stevens of The Athletic, when he first mentioned that, that's where the wave began to go around the arena. And he began to feel the sense of, oh, no, this is one of the good guys in the league, Jay Bomeister, not him. After a minute, you know, every Ducks player was on the ice with almost the whole blue squad. And players were consoling each other. Fans were consoling each other. Everybody was just collectively sad at that point. After about four minutes, you know, the medical staff, you know, they safely transported him. And that was great. 
But for a few seconds, it got very, very quiet. You could hear a pin drop at that point, as I described it before. That's a silence that you really don't get that often. It was an eerie silence during the whole situation. Once the Ducks and Blues fans, there were maybe two, three thousand Blues fans there. When they realized what was happening, it was dead silent. And it was the quietest I'd ever heard the Panda. Probably ever. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, the big uh, emotions that we were feeling this week were positive emotions. Uh, the Sedin jersey retirement, of course, on Wednesday night, honoring the two best Canucks to really ever put on the sweater here in Vancouver, two of the best players that this city will ever see, and certainly surefire Hall of Fame players. Vancouver kind of had an emotional letdown after that ceremony. They got just I mean, unbelievably outworked and outshot in particular by the uh, Chicago Blackhawks on Wednesday. But the one guy who showed up to play was Jacob Markstrom, who had Mm -hmm. a record-setting performance between uh, the pipes for Vancouver. He set the franchise record for most saves in a uh, single-game shutout for the Canucks with 49. You'd think maybe a performance like that where your goalie bails you out would perhaps inspire you to play a little bit better, but I don't know. Maybe the emotions of this week and having three days off kind of led to a lull game because that's certainly what Vancouver had, I feel like, on Sunday afternoon against Anaheim. But for Anaheim, you already had that emotional letdown game on Thursday night because, yes, I alluded to the fact earlier that the Anaheim Ducks are a bad team this year, but they are not 6 nothing at the hands of the Calgary Flames bad. I would imagine that Thursday's performance for Anaheim after they had the day off on Wednesday did not practice after the Jay Bomeister incident on Tuesday night uh, You know, was probably one of their worst games of the season. And is it correct to assume that uh, they were inspired for a bounce-back performance Sunday in Vancouver? Absolutely. The fact that they just were not emotionally all there. And this was even alluded to in a couple of articles on The Athletic. You know, Thursday, the Ducks, their heads just were not in the game. They were not able to get out of the clouds. Once they were down 4 nothing in the first period, and fans could see this, media could see this, everybody could see this, they just were not there on Thursday. Their minds were still thinking about Jay Bomeister. Even before the game, there was a very emotional, I guess, tribute to Jay once the PA announcer Phil Hillett Phil Hewlett said that Bo Meester was doing better in hospital, but he was still at UCI. There's still that concern because it's the great unknown. We I'm, still don't know what's happening. I mean, that's why the game was postponed ultimately. Like, we had Gary Bettman on the radio broadcast on Wednesday night during the intermission to talk about uh, the Sedins and what Henrik and Daniel have meant to Vancouver over the years. He was on hand for the retirement ceremony to see their jerseys go up to the rafters. But the first yep. thing that they talked about was what had gone down in Anaheim the night before. And Bettman talked about, like, yes, we knew that Jay was going to be okay. He was responsive. He had a motion of his, in his extremities. Like, he was boarding the ambulance and was attentive and reacting to everything that everyone was saying to him. We knew that he was going to be okay, but having said that, the players are not in a condition 
to focus on the game, which makes continuing that game just as dangerous as anything that happened to Jay Bomeister. Because if you are not properly focused on the task at hand, you know, hockey is a fast, rapid sport. And if you're not attentive, dangerous things can happen to you on the ice. That game was postponed because of safety concerns, not for Jay Bomeister, but for the remaining players who were expected to go out and continue playing. So it makes complete yes. sense that if they didn't have the focus there, uh, on on Tuesday to continue that game. Mentally, you might not be able to snap back into that mode for a little while, especially if they had you know some days off of practice and their first time jumping back into it is that game against the Flames on Thursday. Yeah, and I feel like this was a bounce-back game for the Ducks because after they pretty much laid that egg, it was good that the Ducks had two days off. What apparently happened was they did not fly out to Canada on Friday. They stayed in Anaheim on Thursday. And just from what I've heard, there was a couple players, I don't know who, but there was still a couple players that went to the hospital on Friday just to visit Jay and see how he's doing. I'm very glad that the Anaheim players are continually checking up on him, and so are the Anaheim doctors. It's it's kind of weird. It feels like Jay Bomeister is kind of now part Anaheim duck in the minds of fans around here. Like, we've almost taken him on as one of the Ducks roster mates all of a sudden, which is kind of a a weird thing, to be honest. So I think having the players just communicate with him on Friday and not have to travel and not have to have a practice up in Vancouver, I think it was good for them to just kind of have that day and take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm going to spend the day with our families, going to make sure that he's okay and just check in and see how he's doing. Once they were able to take a deep breath and clear their heads and not think about hockey for a day, I think that helped them in the greatest capacity. And it was obvious on set on Sunday, just how inspired they were to play against Vancouver. And not to say that Vancouver does poorly against the Ducks. I mean, yes, this is two performances where the Ducks have beaten Vancouver, mostly on defense. But there is something to say about playing inspired hockey after a seemingly traumatic event. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, you guys already got your wake-up call game on Thursday against Calgary. That yeah. was a wake-up call game for Vancouver on Sunday because as much as we here in, in the market locally have talked about, oh, the, the franchise is doing this perfectly. The Sedins mean so much to this city. They are such larger-than-life figures uh, within the hockey community here in Vancouver that you cannot just have one night. It cannot just be Sedin night where you retire their jerseys and the banners go up. You need to do Sedin week to fully uh, encapsulate everything that they've meant to the market and do three specialty-themed nights honoring the Twins all in a row within one week. I get that that sounds like a good idea on paper, and it sounds like a wonderful way to honor your your history and honor two of the best players who've ever played for your franchise, as I mentioned. But I also suspect that as a player, playing three home games in a row where you have pregame ceremonies, in some cases lengthy pregame ceremonies, it it's it adds up a lot to do that three times in a row within one week where mentally you've thrown in an additional hurdle into your pregame routine to keep you from kind of getting your head where it needs to be before puck drops. So 
I could see that completely just being too much for Vancouver's players because they really did not show up in the first period uh, on Sunday. It took them a little while. They they looked themselves certainly a bit more in the second, and when you know the, by the time the third period came around, they're just taking so many chances trying to climb back in the game on the scoreboard that they might be leaving themselves a bit too open on the back end to allow the Ducks to continue building on that lead. Uh, but you know, I'm sure on some level, as much as it's been great to watch these ceremonies as a fan here in Vancouver, the team itself is probably happy that Sadeen Week is over. They're probably glad not to have those lengthy. It, it takes a lot out of you when you have ten minute ceremonies. Even watching games live, it takes a lot out of you. I mean, the one on Wednesday was a full hour. Oh, my God. Well, no, it was great. It was wonderful. Kevin Bieksa gave a big speech. He was hilarious. I wouldn't change that oh ceremony God, for that the world. Great. I wouldn't change that in the slightest way. I had a wonderful time watching that. But that's a that's an hour-long ceremony, maybe 45 minutes, and then they do warm-up. They do another skate after that ceremony is over. And I know, like... It's good that the warm-up came after, so it's not like their legs got cold or whatever, but it still affects the the mental element of the game. And this was a wake-up call for Vancouver. This is exactly the sort of performance that the Ducks had against the Flames on Thursday. I'm sure that the bounce-back performance that Anaheim had against Vancouver on Sunday is very similar to the performance that Vancouver will probably have against whoever's next here later in the week. Which means Anaheim will probably flop against Cal... I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Or it also means Vancouver could do very well against Minnesota coming up this week. Yeah, we'll see. We shall see. But um, at least there's two days off before that game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's anything left here to touch on, JD, before we wrap up. But uh, I, I, you know what? I, I Here's one more thing that I want to pick your brain about. Does, do these games feel like there's something of a rivalry between these two teams from the Anaheim side of it? Because I used to think that Anaheim-Vancouver was like something of a hot rivalry within the Pacific Division. But I don't know if that was just entirely fueled by the fact that you guys had Kessler and Bieksa, and now that they're not there, the fire's kind of gone out here. What, what's the feeling uh, as far as uh, Vancouver's standing in terms of how much you look forward to that opponent uh, in rivalry terms down in Anaheim? I think Josh Manson is trying to fuel some flames a little bit. <laughs> not the Calgary flames, but different flames. <laughs> Oh, that was a terrible pun. No, I liked it. That was good. <laughs> Josh Josh Manson, for what it's worth, he's trying to, I guess, light a fire a little bit. And there's still that carryover effect because Josh Manson did play those big rivalry games. When you think about Vancouver-Anaheim, you think back to, you know, mid-2010s where Vancouver was winning division title after division well, title. I was going to say the 2007 playoffs when they met in the second round en route to... Uh... Anaheim Stanley Cup was a, was a pretty hot series as well. Oh, that that was a terrific series. One of my favorite series to watch just from a competitive standpoint in general. But even looking back to the performances in the mid 2010s, they were fired up. Both teams were very fired up because of those players that you mentioned because the Sedins were still there and they still had that fire. They remember those series. They remember 2007. They remember you know, other series where the Ducks and Vancouver Canucks played. They're not going to forget that easily, and nor should they. And I almost feel bad for the Sedins because those are two Hall of Fame players, and it just sucks that they never got a cup. 
It does. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, it sucks that it never happened for Ryan Kessler as well, even though I'm sure there were many people in the city who are extremely happy to watch him go down to Anaheim and watch nothing happen for him down there. Uh, we are still trying to patch things up and mend fences with him, uh, or he's trying to anyways, as his Vancouver apology tour continues, and he he tries to make amends for the way he left this city. But uh, that, that was, like, when he was still an active player, and I know he's still technically an Anaheim Duck, but he doesn't play anymore uh, and probably is not going to play for the remainder of this contract, uh, given where his hip is at these days. I mean, he mm-hmm. could barely walk out onto the ice during the Jersey retirement ceremony on Wednesday night, which is really sad to see. And it, I think that's part of what should help Vancouver fans appreciate everything that this guy did for the franchise here in Vancouver because, yeah, I'm sure he put some additional wear on the body down in Anaheim playing for the Ducks, but the majority of those injuries, the reason that he is never going to walk properly again for the rest of his life is battling through uh, you know, what should have been debilitating injuries when he was with the Canucks, that 2011 series against the Nashville Predators in the playoffs. Uh, that entire yep. 2011 run, that that's the reason why this guy can't walk anymore. But those games did have a certain fire to them when he was still playing because Vancouver wanted to prove that he'd fucked up by leaving, basically. That he made the wrong decision, that, that they were still a better team than the Anaheim Ducks, uh, even if the standings didn't necessarily bear that out. I feel like now that he's gone... Uh, these are two teams that just kind of exist around each other. There was a little bit of heat, as you mentioned, from Josh Manson today, but on the whole, it's kind of too bad that I don't really feel it anymore with Anaheim, but I guess I don't really feel a rivalry with anyone anymore. You need to meet teams in the playoffs for the regular season um Sampling it's a to, shame they've only met once in the playoffs. Well, I was going to say the Canucks haven't met anyone in the playoffs in the last five, <laughs> six years here. So, you know, they don't really have that fire with uh, a whole heck of a lot of teams at the moment. Uh, but we'll yeah, see. When you, that's when you that's going to change runs. pretty quick here. You mentioned 2011. Same thing with Anaheim in 2015. They had that deep run where they lost to the Blackhawks in the conference finals in 2015. And then you harken back to 2017 where the Ducks had another deep run, but lost to Nashville in six. And it's been nothing but disappointment for the Ducks. I mean, yes, that many consecutive Game 7 losses at home. Yes, we've heard it all before. They lost Game 7 to Detroit. They lost Game 7 at home to the Kings in 2014. Lost in Game 7 at home to the Chicago Blackhawks. I get it. And Kessler really did work his ass off during those seasons and he tried his damnedest and now because of not just 2011 but 2015 2017 it all just you know snowballed to where he's at now unfortunately it looks like he can barely walk now that's a shame yeah well he can't play obviously for the team anymore but how is he received by the fans in anaheim what is uh what does anaheim as a fan base tend to think of ryan kessler at this stage of his career Oh, I mean, they still like him. They hope they're hopeful that he'll come back, but it's looking, it's looking like he's not going to be able to play anymore. He might just, unfortunately, play not play the rest of his contract and could possibly retire. So some uh, cap alleviation, perhaps, in the uh, years to come. We'll, we will see. But um... yeah. Yeah, JD, we will leave it there for the day, I suppose. Always appreciate uh, these conversations with you. Uh, Thanks for doing this, man.
You're very welcome. We'll have to talk about video games at some point. Maybe during the off season, we'll talk about everything miscellaneous. We could talk Super Nintendo video games. Yeah. We could talk wrestling a little bit. Yeah. We could uh, talk about anything and everything. We both uh, attended WWE TV tapings this past week, you down in California and me here in Vancouver. So we were talking about that before we recorded. Yeah, we'll save that for the off season, perhaps. But uh, a pleasure, my friend. Uh, enjoy following this team throughout the remainder of this season. I know at this point, all you're thinking as we're in mid-February is that it will all be mercifully over soon. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in tank mode. Not so much like the LA Kings are completely in tank mode, but there's hope. There's hope for the Ducks. Hey, Trevor Zegers is doing well. We never talked about him. It's true. Okay, that that's that's a conversation for another day. Trevor Zegers is the future of the Anaheim Ducks. If you saw the World Juniors, if you saw the Bean Pot last weekend, I was a little choked when you guys took him right before Vancouver picked after you at the draft last year. So I'll be honest about that. Even though I like Vasily Podkolzin as a as a prospect, I had my fingers crossed that Zegers was going to drop all the way to ten. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. One pick ahead, and now you see how Zegers is doing. Bean Pot. <laughs> almost hero and then scoring a couple of goals past weekend against i think it was nor no i forgot who they played but boston university won again this weekend they could make the frozen four still maybe we'll see Ooh, la la well you've got something to uh, keep you excited and what yeah, has been something a to look forward otherwise to. dismal duck season but uh jd hernandez host of locked on ducks until we meet again uh down the dusty trail my friend always a pleasure Thank you very much. Always glad to do this. There it is. You're locked on Canucks for the day. And I will be back with daily episodes this week. Uh, life's gotten in the way a little bit lately. I've been apartment hunting and uh, have been working a fair amount. Just a lot to keep up with. Well, uh, you know, just trying just trying to do this show on a daily basis when I do not have my own apartment right now, when I do not have my own dedicated space to set up a studio and record on a daily basis, it's been a little difficult. That will all be resolving itself in the next, oh, I don't know, 10 days or so here. So please bear with me. I know it has not been uh, as regular uh, as you might like as far as podcast releases go, but uh, I am almost on the other side of this thing finally, and I appreciate your patience as well. I got some real good shows this week as well to reward you for that patience so look forward to them and if you feel so inclined you can head on over to uh, the Apple Podcasts app and leave me a rating and review in the Apple Store always enjoy reading the kind words that uh, people have to say about the show and it gives us a little boost in the algorithms as well as you can give back to me for doing this show as often as I do as often as I can I, I don't ask for much all I ask for is a nice review and uh, I, I thank the people who have done that of late because I keep hammering it again and again and again and I do see more reviews popping up over there on the iTunes store. Uh, another big show and a much bigger one in fact coming if not tomorrow than the day after this thing's coming together fast here so look forward to a, a show that I've sort of been teasing out uh, over the last couple shows here. I think you can figure out who the guest is going to be but I'm not going to spill those beans just yet. Until tomorrow I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks part of the Locked On Podcast Network.